Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Money Talks 50+. Plus. My name is Rebecca Pearl, I'm your host and program specialist for AARP Elderwatch. AARP Elderwatch is a 20-year program with the Colorado Attorney General's Office working to fight against frauds and scams and provide older adults with the financial information they need to live their best lives as they age. We have a volunteer staffed fraud victim support helpline so if you have any questions about frauds or scams or think you may be a victim of a fraud or scam please give us a call we also have a peer-to-peer financial counseling program that we are happy to connect you with a trained volunteer who will take you through credit report finances after the loss of a loved one or budgeting and savings tools give us a call 800-222 4444, option number two for any of those services. Today, we are just going to jump right in, picking up where we left off last week. We were talking about the Sherman Silver Purchase Act. Try saying that 10 times fast. And the Panic of 1893, as well as women's suffrage. And these were really profound moments for the women living in Colorado at this time because suffrage was something that they fought for since the establishment of the state. Um, and Colorado was actually the first place to award women suffrage. However, this was based on the idea that women wouldn't really use their newfound power because most of them had husbands and otherwise they just wouldn't vote. So that's slightly problematic. I think we can agree. Um, And women were not included at all in the political decision-making institutions or really any sort of systems or institutions that are put in place. They were really just run by white men um, who at the time had all of that power. And that did not change until the mid-1900s, which is what we will be discussing a bit about today. We are going to start off, however, uh, fast-forwarding about 20 years from the end of the 1800s to the 1910s. And during this time, slavery was abolished. Millions of people began their journey west to try to start better lives. And a lot of that starting better lives took place right here in Colorado. Um, One stunning statistic is that between 1900 and 1910, the population of Colorado grew by almost 50%, according to the census taken at the time. So there's rapid growth happening around the country, but also around the state. And this rapid growth led to a number of towns and cities being established across the state. It also led to the establishment of cultural institutions that still exist throughout Colorado today. And that includes the Denver Art Museum, the Denver Public Library, and the Broadmoor in Colorado Springs. These institutions would not exist without philanthropic women that found it to be the utmost importance for cities to have these cultural institutions like libraries, like places to watch plays and shows and musicals. And one of the women that played one of the largest roles in establishing these institutions and then making sure that they would withstand the test of time was Anne Evans. And I am sure you've heard her name before, even if you don't even exactly know how and where to place it. But um, the Street Evans, Mount Evans, etc., all named after her and her family. Um, The governor of Colorado Territory, John Evans, was her father. And um, 
Anne had a very active hand in founding uh, Denver's longest-lasting cultural institutions. She and her mother, actually, in 1893, became the two earliest members of the Denver Artists Club. And then the Denver Artists Club eventually moved on to become the Denver Art Museum. And um, Anne was a huge part of making sure that Puebloan and Spanish colonial art was featured and also made sure that the Denver Art Museum, once it was established, was one of the first art museums in the country to show Native American works of art. She also went on to be on the commission that established Denver Public Library. Um, she also spearheaded the creation of four new branch libraries. Um, and this is why we have such a widespread system of public libraries across Denver today. And even more than that, she also made the creation of Civic Center Park a priority. And um, today, Civic Center Park, due to that, is a national historical landmark. Her philanthropy and uh, community involvement did not end there. In the early 1930s, she co-founded the Central City Opera Association and... That helped to establish Central City Opera Festival when the house was about to be demolished. We really do see Anne Evans's philanthropy across Colorado play out in major ways, and she really worked hard to preserve cultural institutions that were already in place and create cultural institutions that us Coloradans still enjoy today. The Colorado Women's History Center is actually housed in the former Byers Evans house. You can check that out when you're in Denver. I will link to their website in the show notes. But you can see the the prevalence of women's philanthropy at this time is very evident and was more important, I think, than a lot of the women at the time even knew that it would be. So fast forwarding just a bit more on to 1914, when World War I began. Denver and Colorado as a whole saw this shift in both the political and social landscape that they were a part of because women became fundamental in making sure every day activities went on as normal. A lot of men had left the workforce, left their houses, left, you know, their entire lives behind to go fight in the war and women were filling in those gaps in every way, shape, and form. And despite this not being prevalent in history books, women were a huge part of this initial World War I effort because they were essential in filling gaps in the workforce. Women were able to participate and support the war effort by sewing rolled bandages for the troops. Others staffed canteens at Denver's newly opened Union Station. Imagine that, the newly opened Union Station. Other women worked in Pueblo, supplying traveling soldiers with candy, cigarettes, and stationery. I think in today's standards, a lot of people would consider the jobs that these women filled as, quote, unskilled labor, unquote. Well, there is no unskilled labor, but also these jobs are so important to women because it got them out of the home, sometimes for the first time, where they were caring for someone other than their family, making a living on their own a lot of times, and also, in many cases, taking home those wages 
because their husbands were off at war or, you know, working on the war effort elsewhere. And so these women, really the first time that they see control over their finances in a with the systems that had been set up by um, the governing institutions in place, specifically white men. White women filling in the gaps in lots of places of society. They also were essential in filling in workforce gaps in agriculture specifically. Because as men were drafted to the war, women stepped in and created the Women's Land Army, which was an association for female farmers run by female farmers to ensure there was enough food for those at home and abroad. So a lot of people think of the Women's Land Army as a product of World War II. A lot of people think victory gardens are a product of World War II. These things actually all started in World War One and were the brainchild of really strong women trying to make sure that their families at home and their husbands, brothers, dads abroad were being fed. The WLA successfully established 33 chapters across the United States just during World War One, And they would go to towns, uh, large agricultural strongholds where either harvest had to be done, plowing, crop, management, field management, etc., and try to offer up their support. But many times the assistance they offered to men in local communities was refused simply because it was women doing the labor. Is this a trust thing? Is it a women are too fragile to do the same amount of labor as men? I don't exactly know, but um, men would refuse this help from women and then would find themselves in a very, very sticky situation when the labor shortages became too intense to deal with. So men finally relented and accepted the help of women. And women took this moment and ran with it. They used this hard work that they were doing to spotlight it locally and nationally in conversations to advance women's equality. And this really does set the stage, though, for what's to come after World War I. There isn't so much progress towards women's equity and especially financial equity during this World War I period, but post-World War II, we do see um, a lot of the same issues and the same principles that women have been campaigning and working on for years and years and years bubble up to a point where it has to be addressed and that's when you know we kind of see change starting to happen uh, as opposed to here where it's just setting the stage for what's to come even if that's 40 years later. Despite that, women actually found themselves with some institutional power when Helen Ring Robinson was elected to the Colorado General Assembly. She was the first woman to serve in the General Assembly in Colorado and the second woman in any state assembly in the country. So Ring Robinson really set the stage for female politicians that followed after her. And while she was in the Colorado General Assembly, she attempted to get many progressive bills. One of those bills that was probably one of the most notable that Ring Robinson worked on sought to establish a minimum wage for working women, an early example of 
what financial empowerment could have looked like for women at the time. Ring Robinson also attempted to pass a bill allowing women to serve on juries. However, that bill failed and perhaps as a result of this bill, perhaps as just a result of discrimination, women were unable to serve on a jury in Colorado until 1944. So, She did also attempt to pass bills related to women's rights, labor protections, and protecting vulnerable members of the community like those with mental illness and immigrants, especially because around this time there was a huge influx of immigrants coming from around the world to Colorado and other places around the country. Ring Robinson was also a huge part of the World War I effort. She... um, She really sought to promote the war and promote specifically the United States winning the war. And so after her political run, she actually went around the country selling war bonds from place to place to place to try to convince people to help support the war. Also during the war, this is when we see the first establishments of victory gardens. Women were essential in promoting all sorts of gardening efforts because they know the most about gardening, home gardening specifically, and were really good at sitting down with community members and teaching them how to garden for themselves. Today, we know them as victory gardens, but victory gardens weren't actually dubbed a thing until after World War One, when we were victorious. Um, and then after World War One, the Women's Land Army and gardening kind of faded into the background, but we will come back to them when we start talking about World War Two. Again, this is an essential part of how uh, women's equality just had continued to be fought for, and that's why it resurfaces over and over again. After World War One and you know, this huge economic boom that came from World War Run in the Roaring Twenties. Many people in Colorado experienced another shock, as did the world. And if you listened in history class, which I did every once in a while, you'll know what I'm going to say next, which is the Great Depression hit in 1929. Many Coloradans fell into economic despair because the the depression was just so crippling to personal finances, community finances, and just really it left a lot of folks in a pretty sticky situation. One of the biggest programs of the New Deal era was the Workers' Progress Administration. You have definitely seen something constructed by the WPA if you've ever been on a variety of hiking trails across Colorado. Uh, Schools in rural towns oftentimes were constructed by the WPA. Lots of the bridges we have across the state, etc. The WPA was one of the biggest funders uh, in supplying many jobs to Coloradans across the state. Most jobs were construction work and they were specifically for men. Um, Women were not allowed in construction rules. But some women were employed in non-construction jobs, and in those non-construction jobs, they ran adult education programs, art programs, and took on research and reporting roles. Some of these jobs were meant so that men that had been in offices could kind of still have 
similar jobs to what they had done before. So that's why we see these, you know, research desk jobs, but oftentimes instead of men that had served in, you know, desk roles beforehand, women would get these jobs and the men would be doing construction. All of that being said, the pay was not equal. Um, Also, the roles shifted depending on where you lived. So um, women in rural areas worked in the WPA positions, but they didn't necessarily do research or reporting roles. Instead, they would sew for their local community, garden for the community, can goods for folks in need, distribute hot goods like lunch and breakfast for folks in need, and including serving school lunches. This allowed women to contribute to their households financially while also providing services for community members in need. And so while it's employing some folks in the community, other people are benefiting by uh, the services that they need to get by being filled by folks that are employed by the WPA. And again, this payment was not equal. Um, and more specifically, the women made up a very, very, very small amount of the WPA workforce. They only made up 13% of the administration's employees nationally at its peak in 1938. So we're talking, you know, at least eight years before 1938, there are very few women engaged in these roles. And wages were also small. There were advertisements that men in construction jobs could take up to $95 a month home, but women in, quote, unskilled, unquote, labor, non-construction jobs, took home far less. And that could be sometimes just $10, despite advertisements claiming that up to $40 a month. So, you know, we see even the organization that is supposed to be providing jobs for pretty much everyone in the state has limited opportunities for women, which also limits financial equity and empowerment. The WPA did help Coloradans across the state get back on their feet, and women did play a small role, but it, this uh, this role was essential. The WPA programs were essential, and it literally helped physically shape the state until today. And that is where I'm going to leave you for this week. Please tune in next week for another episode as we continue our journey across Colorado and discovering the history of women's financial environment. Those numbers that are truly too big to ignore here in our home state. I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay scam safe. Be sure to check up on those finances and get your budget ready. We're starting another month real soon. Till next time.